Drag Quest Podcast. Here we are in beautiful public lands of Oregon. We are uh, into May. Spring bear hunting. Or was it second week of May? Or third week? Third week of third May. Week of May. Hunting bears. Hunting bears. Hunting bears. Our favorite wing nut, Carson Brown. How's it going? Uh, pumped to be out here. Yeah, yeah. I've, uh, I haven't really put a whole lot in the spring bear hunting in the past. This is the first time I've taken a week and dedicated to spring bear. Had the tag a few times for different units. This is the first time down in the Southwest yeah. unit of Oregon with James and He's showing us his uh, a place he knows very well from hunting it a lot uh, for elk, and it's just a beautiful area. And we've got we've got some special company in camp all week. Uh, we do. We have some special company. Uh, we've got a new member to our tribe. Uh, we had the pleasure of meeting Preston Taylor. He came up to our banquet, PAO banquet, this winter, and. Uh, we put this bear camp together for us to get out and to know each other and throw some wood arrows down range and and, and it kind of just fell together because we all just ended up getting the tag not necessarily with the plan to have this hunt together but it's like hey i've got that tag when are you going when are you going i don't know i'm sure i go this time that time yeah and it's kind of it all kind of fell together yeah. i mean COVID 19. yeah there's a lot of yeah lot this of stuff is has been going on really my first time coming out of quarantine and so it was really cool like i've been you know homeschooling the kids and you know with the help of their teachers of course and and kind of going stir crazy and just really nice to get out into wild places and amongst wild things and um real nice <laughs> yeah we're on day two of a yeah we pulled in hunt. pulled in friday uh hunted all day saturday and uh today sunday yeah and we're gonna save this bear hunt talk for a podcast that will follow this one so we're gonna do like kind of a part one and part two but we'll just do this one um and this one we're just gonna get to know preston and uh, talk about uh, tracking and um, woodsmanship and, and uh, you know, just uh, tell us a little bit about, you know, yourself and where you're from and uh, yeah, thanks for, thanks for having me up here, guys. Uh, I almost didn't make it because of COVID. You know, Oregon had the um, yeah. hunting and fishing closed to non-residents uh, until just about a week ago. So I'm, I'm really glad to be up here. Um, You're from? Uh, uh, I'm coming from uh, Humboldt County, California. Yeah, so up on the north coast. Um, a, a pretty wild um, section of California. Most people think of California is, uh, you know, pretty urban, and there's some huge urban centers for sure, and a lot of people um, – but up where I live, it's it's still really wild and, and awesome country, um, and about a half day's drive from up here, yeah. Um, you know, obviously, yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, yeah, I live down there. I'm a biologist. Uh, I work for the Yurok tribe. Um, 
managing feral cattle and elk and deer. Um, I've been I've been hunting since 2008, and and probably 90% traditional bow hunting since 2010. Um, and I've been making bows. I took a I took a little hiatus, but I've been making bows since about 2001. That's when I first started. Um, so you started building bows well before you started hunting. Yeah, yeah. So I, I I grew up in the city. I grew up right in the middle of the city. Consider myself a city rat. Um, you know, just running around those streets, skateboarding and and living the city life for a while. And then when I got out of Boston, I, yeah, in Boston, yeah. Boston, Massachusetts, yeah. Um, you wouldn't guess this spending uh, a couple of days in the woods with Preston. No, uh, <laughs> seems like he's born in the woods. Um, well, I was pretty feral in the city there, sleeping <laughs> on the street. <laughs> um, but I so when I was in in high school, I went to a wilderness program. And we lived for two months in the in the desert and mountains of, of Utah, semi-primitive, you know, friction fires, sleeping under a tarp, rolling your pack up in that tarp every morning, um, eating lizards and rabbits and things like that. And that really, like, opened my eyes up to what was possible. And then I finished high school. I went to high school in northern Idaho, finishing it there for a year and a half and, and going on, you know, some 12-day backpack trips and um, – and that also, those two experiences kind of awakened me to, that I wanted to get out of the city. And so after high school, I moved to Vermont and kind of dove into the um, sort of that primitive skills world. And so I was I was getting into this stuff like bow making before I was hunting. Yeah. And so I, I practiced that stuff for probably four or five years before I started hunting. And, and when I was when I came out west to go to school, that's when I started hunting as well. All right, so the primitive skills is kind of where you found your foundation, and that led to bow hunting? Yeah, yeah. Um, when I was in Vermont there, we were running outdoor education programs, rites of passages, camps for teens, really really pretty hardcore stuff, taking these kids out, and and we'd build, you know, debris huts and take their sleeping bags away, you know, in, in March or in the fall when it's sleeting out, you know, and, and we'd all sleep without sleeping bags in these debris huts we'd build. We'd go on um, winter camping expeditions with, with no matches or lighters, you know, complete um, primitive, you know, make your own rope, build drill fires, hand drills, things like that. And, and as I progressed more deeper into that world, I, I realized that, I, that hunting – was an aspect of it that was missing and and to me it seemed like that would create the deepest connection that I that I wanted with animals and with, with nature you know my whole interest is while while we're here on this earth because none of us know how long we're here is, is to experience it as humans always have and that is relying on these animals you know in the plants and the wild water and, and interacting with them you know directly directly yeah yeah, and and so that's that kind of is what spurred me into then yeah wanting to hunt. Yeah, yeah, your your relationship with the landscape is refreshing. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, thanks. <laughs> We've been walking along the trail, looking at bear tracks and munching on various vegetation as we go. <laughs> I'm like, well, if he's eating it, I'll eat it, and it'll I'll figure out what it is later. I've always dabbled in that, but I've learned some, I've learned a fair number of new ones from Preston already. So, 
expanding the salad repertoire. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's I, fun. I knew the minor lettuce, but I didn't know that candy. Candy flower. Candy yeah, flower. yeah, same yeah. genus as minor yeah. lettuce. Super good. Yeah, super good. Yeah. It's refreshing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you're out there, like, all day on the trail, it's nice to be able to just, especially, like, hunting. Sometimes you don't take fresh stuff, so fresh greens and things like yeah. that. Yeah, Really nice. We picked nettles the other day. And you don't stop and open up your pack. Yeah. Nice your zipper just reach down and grab a bite on your way yeah so let's talk a little bit about your path as a bow hunter and your path as a tracker because tracking is something that is a, a big part of your method and um you know i'd like to it's not a commonly used uh method to to find one's quarry anymore um I mean, it's always intriguing, and so yeah, let's talk a little bit about yeah how those two paths kind of yeah, match. that sounds great. Um, so, like I said, I was making bows before I started hunting, but my first my first two seasons were, were with a rifle. I was with a, with a friend of mine, Jr. This is in California because I had moved west at that at that time, <clears throat> and on opening day of my first season hunting for deer uh jr shot a um a buck and then i hunted the rest of that season and and didn't shoot anything and then on the second season the opening day you know with a rifle i shot a buck and and so i just decided i'd been making bows and i was always interested in archery and and it's um i i decided that i you know should start bow hunting after that like i still i still will hunt with a rifle occasionally especially when i need the meat um but uh, my, my real love and passion is, is for archery. <clears throat> and because I sort of came at this from a different direction than a lot of, a lot of people that grow up around a hunting family, <clears throat> um, y- you know, I, I was always romanticizing the, the Native American and, and the idea that, uh, you know, you, someone could be so intimately connected with the landscape that, that they could get on a set of tracks and, and follow them to the animal and sneak in and, and shoot it with a homemade bow and a wooden arrow. And <clears throat> that's sort of always been like out there, you know, that I'm trying to reach that, that sort of uh, goal. <clears throat> and so along the, the same time that I was making bows and, and right before and starting hunting, I was also trying to learn how to track animals. <clears throat> um, and I hadn't, like you said, not many people try to track an animal, like to catch up to it, to hunt. I hadn't really heard or thought much about that until I was introduced to, to um, the the tracking style of the Bushmen of South Africa, right? And we've probably everybody that's listening to this has heard about the Bushmen and, and how incredible they are. <clears throat> and um, what I, what I was introduced to was this this system, this cyber tracker system by Louis Liebenberg and, and Adrian Lowe and Mark Elbrock. Those guys brought it over here. And, and it's, really, it's really simple, even though it, it's really complex at the same time, but, but we, we get on fresh tracks of an elk or a bear or a deer and follow that trail to the animal. <clears throat> and it, um, it took me a, a long time, years uh, of practicing that till it was re- you know, something that I could reliably do, actually catch up to the animal starting on their tracks. Um, but <clears throat> now when the conditions are right, it, it's one of my favorite ways to hunt. 
Um, and I, and I think that I enjoy it so much because it, uh, it's ingrained in, you know, our evolution over hundreds of thousands of years, potentially millions was following animal tracks, you know, to hunt them. And, and I think there's something deep in there that, that triggers in my brain when I'm on a, a fresh hog trail and sneaking down it and the woods, the woods are quiet cause they're wet. And I know I'm getting close to a bed and I've got a, I've got a homemade bow in my hand and there's just something there that, um, you know, fires in my brain that I love and, and it, and it excites me. And, and, and I, I'm sort of, um, like I said, a, a romantic for the old ways. And, and so I think that, so, you know, trying to find animals without optics, um, you know, a lot of the, the techniques that are used today, it, um, I think it's, I think I just enjoy it. I just enjoy doing that, you know? Yeah. And how, how old are you, Preston? I'm 37, just turned 37 this year. Um, I, I probably started, I started making bows and started tracking animals in 2001. Um, and then, I, and then I went through that cyber tracker system for like 10 years. Tell us, yeah, let's, let's. Go down that. Yeah, so the, this this model, the cyber tracker model, is based on um, the the tracking skills of the Bushmen in Africa. Louis Liebenberg spent a couple decades with them, trying to document you know their lifestyle, and eventually they came to him and said, "We need uh, we need jobs," you know, and so he created this um, this GPS Palm Pilot interface, all icon based, so that illiterate Bushmen could record wildlife data, right? Because the the Bushmen People that spend all their time in the woods know more about animals than people that don't, you know, and they, and they see incredible things in the woods. And, and so these Bushmen could go out on the landscape and gather data that, you know, wildlife researchers and, and just the general public never would be able to. And, you, and it's non-invasive and you don't need all the technology and everything. It's low cost. But he quickly saw that you couldn't give this, um, this device to any person, you know, any Bushman. They're not all really good trackers. And so he developed an uh, evaluation process that basically susses out who's really good. It's a quantitative method, you know, to tell where someone's at, but it's also an incredible learning tool. You know, I didn't grow up tr hunting. I didn't grow up in the woods, but through the evaluation process and the feedback I got from the evaluators, I was able to, you know, learn how to, how to do some of these things. And so it's, it's broken down into two methods. There's an identification side and then a trailing side. And so identification is just, you know, what is this track? Can you tell if it's a male or female? What is this sign? You know, hunters. And, and you're looking at a, a, a digital photo. No, this is all in the field. Okay, Everything's in the, field. In the okay. field, and it and you just go out there, and it's whatever you find. Okay, so when I first heard Cyber Tracker, I thought it was yeah. like an online course where it's. And I thought, ah, I just don't know if you could get that much out of looking at pictures of tracks. That name comes from the the, the original device. That, that makes sense. Okay, yeah. got it now. But yeah. the device isn't so really part of the system anymore. Uh, it, it doesn't have to be. It's yeah. not. It's not part of the evaluation system. It's a data cap data capturing tool. But now with smartphones, it, you know. They took that place. Yeah, yeah. It's just a data capturing tool. That's all. That's all it is. Yeah, yeah. but the but the evaluation process. But but, but it's it's. So it's just capturing what you're learning along the way. The the device. Yeah, it's a way to record field yeah. data. That's right. all. Yeah, okay. yeah. And you can, it's like it. And and with GPS is now in your phone, you can do all this easily. But you could, turn on a track, and it can be taken the point you know, every second while you're following, you know, an, a bull elk's trail 
and recording what plants it's eating and where it's bedding and you know what I mean how it travels across the landscape and then you can put that all on a map and you can see travel corridors and all that stuff yeah yeah really yeah. useful information that costs a lot of money with radio collars yeah and exactly symmetry. and those don't those don't capture the, yeah. the dietary aspect of it like yeah. you just mentioned yeah so so like they they first used this on black rhino studies nice. there in Africa with the bushman yeah but um the evaluation process, this is just a field test. It's all in the field with real animal sign. None of it's created. It, you know, the evaluators just walk out in the woods with you. And on the ID side, yes, yeah, just identification, interpretation, anything that can make a mark out there. You know, we saw that elk scent marking with the ivories mm -hmm. that they do. It could be how you, how you tell a mouse track from a vole track. You know, it, it could be, um, you know, a beaver dam. I mean, it's everything, right? <clears throat> and then the trailing side is... You know, we go and we find a fresh set of tracks, and they ask you to follow it and, and try to find the animal and sneak up on it. Um, and and so in both of those systems, you're scored. There's a, there's different scoring um, points basically, and uh, different levels. And when you get up to the the top level, if you get a hundred percent, you're a specialist. And if you get them in both, you're senior. And so that's kind of how it works. And so when I first did them. Um, and then in, and in, uh, the first time I took them, the trailing evaluation, I didn't even get a certificate, right? If you get a 70%, you're awarded a level one. And I didn't even get one. I couldn't really follow a trail, you know? And over the course of, it took me 10 years to work up to that specialist level. Yeah. And, and so that's, that's the cyber tracker system. It's an incredible learning tool. Um, just, just to learn about animal behavior, uh, and, and tell us, like, you're paying attention to everything, um, birds. <laughs> as much as possible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's not, it, I mean, I want the listeners, like, it's not about just tracking down a, a bear or an elk. Like, yeah, it's not like there's a track, oh, there's the next track, oh, there's the next track. It's it's the flagging of the vegetation. Well, a lot and, of little the, nuanced The layers of tracks on top us. of tracks. Yeah, and, and as we're doing this, as we're hunting, you know, it's a little different, but when you're on the evaluation, it's essentially like a hunt. You know, the evaluator is going to ask you, where's the wind coming from? You know, uh, what does that alarm bird call mean? You know, where do you think this animal's going? Um, if you get into a dangerous situation because you're not paying attention, you're docked points. You know what I mean? So, yeah, you're, you're paying attention to as much as possible. Um, and that's the way we always are in the woods, you know, just kind of expanding our awareness out there. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of us are looking for our quarry. We're not paying attention to the sign they're laying down. Oh, I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, <clears throat> when when I go out specifically to track an animal down, then then uh, yeah, we're we're really trying to follow the sign. And it and like you said, Carson, it's not necessarily just a track. It could be laid over vegetation. It could be a scat. If we come to a place where you can't see any tracks then you have to envision the route that the animal is using and, and continue on that until you can confirm that there are or are not tracks, you know? Right. Um, we're looking for smells. I, I, I smell for the animal all the time. I listen for them. Yeah. I think this training, though, I guess what I'm alluding to is that it's also taught you about the woods. I mean, everything that's happening. I mean, I've noticed your um, relationship with all of the wildlife, the birds, the owls, the 
the bugs. I mean, it's it's interesting, you know, <laughs> because you're always you're you're looking at from a different perspective. Uh huh. When you're really like, you know, spending two days with you, we've really got our. It's like we're looking for mushrooms or something. Our face is dug into the ground all the time, <laughs> really looking at every track. I've never looked at. I mean, tracking elk. Yeah. Done that plenty. They leave this swath. It's pretty. Uh-huh. This you kind know? of country, yeah, it's pretty easy to stay you on guys, an elk trail. Yeah, we're. we're <laughs> it's pretty easy to stay on so an elk trail where, where we're at. Yeah. Right tracks are a little harder. Yeah, to the softwood animals are harder, and 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 it totally depends on your substrate. Like if you, <clears throat> if you're in a fresh pa- snow powder, you don't have to exert as much mental energy looking for the tracks, right? Yeah. After a heavy rain, a herd of elk going through the woods, it, it's real obvious, you know. But um, the the bears can be really subtle, um, and and it just depends on the substrate. Yeah, the reason, and we'll probably talk about this later too. But the reason we're we're kind of here, in this environment at this time of year, is because it is actually possible to find a bear track and follow it to the bear. And tell tell us why, like tell them where we're at uh, as far as. The, so James James's GPS point is. <laughs> <laughs> his hunting spot no 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 no, no. just kidding no, yeah, yeah tell him about the habitat yeah yeah for sure we're <clears throat> we're um on the coast in the the temperate rainforest right and this is really lush thick vegetation um you know really really new plant growth there, there's green plants everywhere we had really hard rain um all week before we showed up everything's like leafing out everything's really soft you know and and so up here in this environment this time of year the the sign that a fresh bear uh, uh, trail will leave gives you enough feedback to stay on it because that's really what it's about is how much feedback from the land can you can you interpret to stay on the trail you know and and so like later in the year if it hasn't rained for two months you know we come into august you might you probably aren't gonna be able to stay on a bear uh, in this same spot you know at least to catch up to that specific animal so so to track down an animal it's very specific to, to the substrate of where you are and the weather and the plant growth and, and the animals. And, and so you kind of have to figure out where, what that is for you, you know. Um, here on the West Coast, a lot of that just means rain. You know, after, you know this, James, you've heard talked about that. After a good rain, getting on an on a elk track or getting on a buck track or getting on a hog track, you know, it, it can be doable. If you go to the, um, the desert southwest, it, when it's been really dry, that dust builds up, and you can actually track them in the dust, you know, good enough to catch up to them. So, so it's really specific to where you're at, you know. Um, and I've noticed you plan some of your future hunts um, around, you know, an elk hunt where a lot of guys want to hunt them in the rut, and you may not have time for that in your schedule. So you're like, oh, I'll see if I can draw one where I can hunt them in January because I'll have that rain and. Because that's part of the game is tracking them down, which I love that late season tracking elk. It's, yeah, yeah, I do too. It's a ton of fun. Yeah, it's it's just like somebody that that wants to spot and stalk mule deer, they're gonna look for those opportunities. So but, I kind of look for places and tags that that I can do that. Like yeah. still hunting is really tough because you're like you're wandering through, just trying to pick something up out of nothing, hoping they're there, hoping they're there. Yeah, but trolling. tracking, it's <laughs> yeah. like. It's, it's exhilarating because when you lose it and you, then you find it again, yeah. you're like, oh, here we go. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it, I'm on the rainbow. Where's the, <laughs> where's the pot yeah, of that's, gold? That's the challenge with with still hunting is keeping your confidence and attention. Attention. Even though you're you're yeah. not having anything to go on a lot of times. If you're not as versed as yeah. uh, like if I would have tracking. 
if I would have still hunted those uh, those two uh, hunts we've done the last mm-hmm. two days, it would have been like, man, where are the bears? But since I was like learning that they are here, they live here, we just haven't run into them, yep. and we're like a day behind them. Yeah. It, it at least there's like this feeling where you're like, oh, well, we're on bears. Yes. Like I'm yeah. crawling on my hands and knees in bear tunnels, but the, we're on bears. And morale's good all day. Yeah. Yeah, and the and the cool thing when you're on a, a really fresh trail is you're getting closer to that animal. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And and um, you know, and, and that's what's really exciting. And then like what you mentioned, James, <clears throat> when you lose it and refind it, um, I think it's important to emphasize that that. what i see is really skilled trackers is they can find the trail again when they lose it they can find where those animals are going i've never seen anyone that can follow a trail without losing it unless it's like the the easiest stuff you know like like brand new fresh powder snow or something and there's nothing else mixing in with it you know um and and so that's just the reality of tracking is everybody loses a trail the best of us all we all lose it and and how much time are you going to spend trying to find it again um and and can you and i think that's important to emphasize you know and and, and luckily here where we're at in this working state forest there's a lot of uh, decommissioned old grass roads and and with bears they they like to tend to stay on those so that's that's kind of nice we generally and so far have pretty good idea where to pick the trail up again i made a comment uh while we were tracking a bear yesterday to carson i said uh these bears are (laughs) he said you go these bears are a lot nicer than those elk they don't take us down there and up there (laughs) and over there because you can see the elk trails just cross the road back and forth back and forth yeah. Elk trails slide, you know, they, they, they just go up and down the steep stuff like it's nothing. But those bears are us. Yeah, they're I, like us. They like to stick to the, yeah, the I said flat this, old skid I said road. This big boar is a real gentleman. He's just <laughs> keeping us on the skid road. Well, yeah. you guys just wait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, they go into some thick stuff. When they get off the roads, they yeah. go into thick stuff. No, yeah, yeah. It's not like elk trails. It's yeah. under I'm the looking crawling. forward to crawling yeah. once we get on the stuff that's worth following. Yeah, it's something else to be crawling down a bear tunnel and then come face to face with that bear, you know, and there's not many places to get out of there. You know, it's, it's cool. Yeah. It's exciting. Yeah. That's what I live for. Things like that, you know? Nice. Yeah. Well, let's get into some of that. Yeah. Um, where do you want to start? <laughs> uh, well, starting at the beginning. Yeah. Let's start at the beginning with the, like, you know, I mean, I imagine like how you started putting this tracking and this bow hunting together. So you're bow hunting now, you're tracking. Yeah. Um, it, it's deer, there's elk, there's hogs. There, you're in California. Yeah. There's a lot of different stuff happening. You're going to different states. Yeah, well, we're, we're, where I first started hunting, which is in Southern California, um, was r- a really good location to try to track down deer. There's still rifle hunters in that area, the general area of the Southwest, that hunt buck mule deer by trying to track them you know same with those benoit brothers up in the northeast you know you still hear about that and you 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 know guys out here that do that right and so when i first started hunting that was pretty much mostly what i did is is get on a set of fresh tracks i had either sex tags for deer and and just try to catch up to them you know and sneak in on them and and i I, that first year bow hunting man i put so many arrows over the backs of does i mean i missed so many deer yeah but it was exciting and then when I moved up to Humboldt, the hunting season is not the best time to try to trail an animal to catch up to it. 
so so I had to kind of change my methods a little bit. But I was able to um, to start hog hunting with a good friend of mine, Matt Nelson and Tim Nelson, and we'd hunt them in the winter. And and because the the tracking was good then when it rained, you know that was pretty much how we hunted the hogs. Is we'd try to track them into their beds and sneak up on them. <clears throat> and um, and so the the tracking and the bow hunting kind of came together. And and I've been learning, you know, along the way. I don't want to give the impression that I'm some incredible hunter. Um, I, I'm just, I'm, I still feel like I'm trying to figure this whole thing out and I, I've gotten lucky to bring home, you know, animals to eat. Um, and we, we almost always have wild meat in our freezer, but, um, you know, I still feel like I, I'm just learning from these animals every time I go out. <clears throat> and, um, I guess where, where to start at the beginning and especially with bears, like when I came up to Humboldt, I was a pretty good tracker and I remember, um, going out to try to track down a bear and there's these fresh bear tracks in the dust of the road. <clears throat> this is late summer where it's real thick dust on these roads that get driven a lot. Fresh bear tracks, and you can see the hair in them. They're, they're smoking fresh. <clears throat> I followed where that bear left the road and went off into the woods, and I just stood there because I couldn't see any tracks. I had no idea where the bear went, and I was, I was dumbfounded, right? <clears throat> and and oh, as a biologist, have you spend any time research researching or studying black bear behavior up until this point or but uh, um not specifically black bears or bears up until that point i had worked um seasonal jobs in western wyoming and alberta and new mexico and especially in the um the alberta wolf and puma studies we were checking kill sites and so we, we'd see a ton of bear sign and bear activity going into these, these kill sites of the pumas and the wolves. <clears throat> and there's a lot of bears up there. So we were interacting with them a lot. But I, but I wasn't really studying them at that point. Yeah. Okay. Um, but but I, I just hadn't spent time tracking bears either specifically. You know, like <clears throat> it, it, you have to kind of tune your eye into what the sign looks like. And I didn't really know when the substrate was good. And so <clears throat> a good friend of mine um, – incredible hunter and woodsman brian mcconnell uh he lives up in western washington i went up to visit him and he sort of showed me in, in one in a spring sort of how he goes about looking for bears and how to find them and follow them and and he showed me the you know how you can track them in this fresh plant growth and and how the rain helps you age the trail and and things like that and so i was able to take that back down to um the, the coast of northern california and um and start practicing that way and just, you know, through going out, it's just like bow hunting, you know, like going out every day and trying again and again. Uh, eventually, I got to the point where I could stay on a bear trail long enough to catch up to them, you know, which which doesn't happen, you know, all the time. I don't want to give that impression. They're really hard to track down. Um, but but when it does, it's really neat. Um, and And so for folks that might be interested in learning how to do this, uh, whether it's with bears or any animal, I guess the things you might want to think about are um, you, you need you need a patch of ground with a, with big animals. Pick the biggest animals that are in your region, whether that's elk or, or deer or hogs. Um, if you live somewhere like Texas with exotic, you know, huge antelope or something like that, moose. Pick big animals, you know, <clears throat> and. You'll probably need to, it'll take some time to figure out when the tracking substrate is good. So what I recommend to folks is um, 
find an area and and find some kind of muddy or or dirt road and and walk those roads until you see fresh tracks um, a good way to know if a track is fresh or not is to go for a walk after a rainstorm it's pretty easy to tell if the track's been rained on or not. Every, the whole slate gets wiped clean, right? <clears throat> and then just try to follow them off the, off the road. And, and um, you might only be able to follow them for a couple steps, um, which is what happened to me at first. Um, but, you know, through practicing, you'll be able to recognize the sign better and, and you just keep at it. Um, and and it, it, it comes, yeah. And it's not just tracks. There's yep. different behaviors that certain animals you know, might exhibit during their rutting time or their whatever phase they're in. Yeah. Territory markings that we've seen. Yeah. 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 I mean, if you're, you're following a herd of elk, you know, in the rut, you can smell them sometimes or you'll see, and with hogs too, you'll see mud on trees and plants after they've left a wallow, that kind of stuff. Um, Yeah. It's really, you're following an animal. You're not following tracks. Especially because in, in stuff like this, vegetation like this, you don't always see tracks. You might you might not see tracks for a while, you know. And then like the bears we've been on, there's been elk on top of them, yeah. you know. Yeah. So you're really trying to just follow an animal and how it would move through the forest, looking at it from from their perspective, you know. Yeah. And I feel like that's where your level of experience really shines is not just being able to look at and study, uh, you know, where, where you've got some multiple elk tracks can sometimes look like a bear track, like to me, you know, like I'll, a couple, three, four elk tracks on top of each other. And my mind really has an easy time trying to, tr- to make that into a bear track. And, it, and I could probably figure out that it's elk track, but I spent a minute really looking at it. And, and, but, but what I noticed with you is you can just discern really quickly, really efficiently uh, what you're looking at yeah. and, and dismiss the elk tracks, uh, you know, whereas I think I can get to the same conclusion 90% of the time, but it's going to take me about, you know, three times, four, five times long to sit there and look yeah. at it. Figure Many it out. times I would like go check something out and Preston come over and tell me what it was. And I was like, I figured that was elk sliding <laughs> off the bank, but, but yeah, I'm trying I, to make I, it into I bear needed, tracks. So. I needed a couple more minutes to tell myself for sure. That's what was happening. Exactly. Um, and that's, you know, I guess what, putting the time in and, and recognizing quickly and then and there was also he turned over some leaves with some big bear traps that were like oh i would have walked right past that. yeah right past that. well i, I walk by plenty of stuff too <laughs> but um this this also is why even though it might not be the best it's definitely not the easiest way to kill an animal to track it down but all, all of us as hunters can learn so much from the animals and their mm-hmm. behavior and how they lo- use the landscape by following their trails, even if that's outside of the hunting season. Yeah, yeah it's, like you know? reading, it's like you snuck in and stole their daily journal and like oh, looking yeah. through it. It's like, oh, that's what they're up to when I yep. don't, you know, don't see them that time of the day or whatever. Yeah, you get to poke through their droppings and, and, and look at the plants they're nibbling on and, and, and you get to see the landscape through their eyes. Like, I know you guys can do this really well with elk lot more than me because you spend so much more time with them but it's like okay that looks like a place where they're probably going to bed you know and yeah. and and tracking teaches you these things um you know yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, with in the late L- season i've always like we only get snow in this country once or twice a year if we're lucky and if we get it and i can break away um 
I'm always excited. Um, this year, a few things came together. Um, we got it, and I had an elk tag in my pocket. So I got up on the ridge, and as soon as I found elk tracks, parked the truck and started following them. And unfortunately, the snow level was, you know, enough to dust the the top really well, but there was a lot a, a snow line, and they left the snow line. Um, but there was mud and I was able to pick it back up a couple times and I, I ran into them and that's cool. Had a re- yeah. really cool hunt and a really close opportunity on yeah. filling the tag. So yeah, that's awesome. And cause, yeah. and that sign led you right to them, right to you know, that's trailing. And what's, what's nice about the snow is that <clears throat> it, it allows you to not have to pay as much attention to the trail to make sure you're still on it so that you can look for the animal. Cause that, to me, that is the real challenge is <clears throat> following a trail, but also trying to become aware of the animal before it's well, aware of you. Yeah. yeah. Well, here's the thing. We're trying to find a bear. <laughs> I know how to find 21 elk. <laughs> yeah. 17 elk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. they, um, yeah, they, they leave a lot of signs. Yeah, there are a lot of big animals. He said, yeah. "Pick and, a big animal." And, and I picked it... a big animal that runs around in a big group, <laughs> and so that's like uh, you it, can keep your head up it, looking it, for the elk as you're on the trail. Yeah. You don't have to watch yeah. looking for the next track. It's yeah. gratifying, yeah, to be on a trail like that. Yeah, yeah. it, it is, it and is. and it can be like that with a bear too. Um, the right, the right bear, the right substrate. It, it can be that easy. Yo, um, yesterday that seemed like i mean once you pointed out some thir- certain things to look for and i started seeing oh okay mm-hmm. that's that that's what that means it's when like, he, he was a big bear I, he was leaving and, and when he was foot marking we using his same tracks over and over and over we were like in his home range and he yep. was he was continuing to walk on his own tracks yeah let, lay him sent down yeah, yeah. Yep. And, and when when he would walk through that tall grass you can really see that pretty easy oh, yeah, yeah it was like you a know? Clydesdale horse yeah. Yeah. yeah, and so when and when they bust through this thick salmonberry, I mean it's obvious, yeah. you know, and so yeah, <clears throat> when when you're on a trail that's really easy to follow, it's nice because you can pay more attention to the woods, yeah. you know. Well, there's a there's a lot of value in this. Like, it's cool to get your bear however you get him, you know. Like me and my daughter have been out looking to get him trying to find her one in a clear cut with that she can shoot with a rifle and that bear shows up on the scene and the story is he showed up into that area where you could see him and you, you know you make a good shot and you harvest a bear and you have meat in the freezer but tracking him around like learning how he's living and then running into him it's very intimate yeah and and we're all hunting with you know longbows and and so it's we could be have we could have rifles right now you know this is a general season you know choose your weapon <clears throat> but we're choosing to hunt with, with longbows and and you know a- a- I, any weapon it's, you, it's you don't have to designate prior to just yeah, to clarify oh yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah sorry so so it, yeah so we could <clears throat> if we wanted you know have a rifle in, in tow if we wanted yeah we wanted yeah. to yeah but but we're all hunting with our longbows and and i'm sure it's the same for you guys for me i choose to hunt with this equipment because I'm after, I'm chasing a type of hunt. I'm chasing a type yeah. of encounter. A feeling. You know, I, um, I've got some meat. I don't need to kill a bear. You know, right now, this season, I'll, I'll get a shot this fall because where I live, there's a lot of bears. I'll get a shot um, with my bow. Okay, well, <clears throat> yeah. 
I'm shooting first thing. Yeah. Chris <laughs> looking a little low. What did I, what did I say this afternoon to you, Preston? What, what did you say? You're coming down to hunt there? No, I said, I <laughs> yeah. said uh, I've already got everything I need off this hunt already. Oh, yeah, that's right. Totally. That, yeah. 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 yeah and, uh, and I said that at, because we uh, have been doing a lot of stumping. Oh, um, man. The stump shooting fun. Also involves stump shooting. Oh, man. It's been fun. Lots, it's been so fun to shoot stumping. you guys. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, I'm, I'm interested in, in an r- intimate encounter, close encounters with animals, a certain type of experience. And there's nothing wrong with rifle hunting. I still rifle hunt when I need to. Um, but what, what I'm after here is a real specific type of experience. Yeah. And that's why we're, you know, we're hunting the way we are. We, we could sit up in glass clear cuts, you know, like everybody else and see a bear, right. you know, like uh, you said, you learn so much more about an animal's habits when you are trailing them for a long time and, 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 and in, getting that experience. And this stuff, it pretty much dictates a close encounter. This well, stuff is so thick. Yeah. Even the stuff you, I'm glassing. In my head, I don't know if we've really talked about this yet, but in my head, a lot of it that's so thick, I'm like, once we find him, I want to sit there and want him for a few hours until he goes to where we can go pick up the trail. Exactly. Yeah. I've been thinking about that. Yeah, because yeah. I've tried the spot and stock on once these units are overgrown, and it you got Sal Al up to your boobs, and oh. it's not even really possible. And so it would be almost be better to just like, hey, now we have eyes on one. Once he moves off into the timber... We can go down to that spot and, mm-hmm. and begin Trail to hunt. Him into his bed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's neat too here because it's so thick that if they don't, it's similar to where I live. That if the bears don't smell you and you're you're kind of coming down their their trail, crawling through the salmonberry, and especially right now because we're coming up on the peak of the rut, I think that especially these boars assume you're another bear, and and they'll actually come approach you. They've approached me through the thick stuff until they can get a good look at me or try to circle for the wind or do those intentional you know breaking of branches to to communicate it's pretty neat and they they probably don't get a lot of hunting pressure that way (laughs) no i doubt it so yeah this is a this is a spring bear hunt in uh, the state of oregon we don't have baiting we don't have hounds um so this is a definitely a tactic that's really unutilized i mean everyone is looking to glass them up and that's really the only it's tactic besides some calling um yeah, and it's not the the easiest no. way to kill something, but that's we're shooting wooden bows, and it's not the easiest way either. <laughs> yeah, no, and um, we're learning uh, a little bit more about this elk country all the oh, time. Oh man, right? yeah, because we've been uh, wrapped up in elk uh, yeah. everywhere we go. Yeah, bump, bumping yeah. into them left and right. Yeah, we we were doing some predator calling for bears today, and brought in a herd of elk, and <laughs> so we'll we'll get into that. Uh, the next podcast but um it's been fun for me to come to a totally new place and and try to um transfer what i know about bears to here it's it's tough because i don't know where their food sources are where they feed it seems like there's food everywhere but they're going to feed in specific places where they feel comfortable and i don't know their travel routes or where they like to bed james knows this place like the back of his hand and so he's been taking us to where he's seen bears as he's working and hunting where he's seen bear sign and, and we're sort of just trying to cruise through these areas and pick up sign but it's been kind of neat to, to to try to transfer what i know and and uh, and it's been challenging too for me because because I, I i'm jaded i have a lot of bears where i live and so it kind of it kind of biases my my view of bear hunting and and so to come to a new place to come here where there isn't quite as high a density there's still a lot of bears but not as many as where i live um it's definitely you know 
taking me down a notch, making sure I get, I'm humble. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about um, how you got into hunting the California bears and yeah, and how it it's you don't have a spring season, so you're you're hunting them uh, uh, on a different substrate, a different time of year, on a different feeding pattern. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure when or why, but when I started hunting, I just I, I wanted to hunt bears too. You know, I, I, um, there weren't any bears where I lived when I started hunting, but I wanted to hunt them. Um, and so when I moved up to, to northwestern California, I moved into one of the highest densities of black bears on the continent. Um, we have we have places with up to four bears per square mile. Why? Why? So part of it is the terrain. Um, there's a lot of the country is these two to three thousand foot ridges that just go up and down and there's no real broad river in between them there's no real broad flat places on the top and so one square mile is, is so corrugated that it's actually a lot bigger country <clears throat> and so so there's a lot more landmass than just the the um, two-dimensional aspect right and then we have we have six six species of oaks and then two oak-like trees and then a whole oak like yeah so you have the chinkapin and the tan oak those are not um they're, they're related oaks same family but different genus okay yeah the chinkapin is like in between a chestnut and an oak and then the tan oak is closer to an oak um yeah very similar we have those here yeah not, not far from yeah hunting, so. yeah and then the and then we have the true oaks you know the quercus genus um and and up there where we have we have huckleberry oak live oak oregon white oak California black oak, uh, the early oak, the saddler oak, I call it early oak. Um, and then we've got huckleberries, um, we have blackberries, uh, some, some fish streams, but, but really the bears are focused on um, that hard and soft mast in the fall. And then we have really mild winters. You know, there's snow, we get six, 7,000 foot peaks and there's snow up there, but down, you know, almost at sea level on the coast and on the river valleys, there's no snow and it, it's mild, you know. And so the bears, they don't necessarily have to hibernate, you know, for the winter. Uh, I, I see bears every month of the year. Uh, we have we have fresh plant growth starting in January. So they're, they're not even taking a little nap? They will. Oh, yeah, when the weather gets nasty, they'll hole up. Or they might... They might find a real good patch of, of tan oak acorns that because the tan oaks will last um, through the winter into the spring, the acorns on the ground, and they might they might just stay next to that patch of tan oaks for a month or two, you know. Or Sounds if like that might be a key to the a major key to the numbers of bears that are having a tan oak, uh, yeah, a food source like that, a rich yeah. food source like acorn. That lasts yeah, those tan oaks. I've seen them on the ground in in um, April and wow. still good. You can crack them open with good meat. So yeah. It's kind of been my observation that bears kind of run from one food, like they, they, I'm on grass. Now I'm on to grubs, or now I'm on to skunk cabbage. I'm gonna do this for a while, and now, or or are they jumping around? I mean, is that no, no? You're right. You're totally right. They're they're into a food source, and it's usually a, a really specific localized food source. They might they might jump around from the different type of food, grass to insects to berries. Um, but a lot of times there'll be like a concentrated food source that they focus on. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I've noticed that in the fecal, like, it's like, it's all apple. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's yeah. all berry. It's rarely yeah. a mix. Yeah. 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 If they're, if, cause they're, they're just tuned into whatever's happening as far as food that might be like, 
you know, a patch of woods with a lot of yellow jacket nests. And they're just going through there, digging them up, and that's what they're feeding on. Or it could be uh, a river valley that's got really good grass, or, or it's, um, you know, a, a patch of dogwood fruit, you know, and, and they're just tuned into that. And, and like, even if they're eating, say, manzanita berries everywhere, if they, if they finish and, and totally clean out a patch of manzanita berries, they'll go straight to the next one, even if it's seven miles, you know. The yeah. choice ones, the yeah. choice patches, yeah. Yeah, so they, they are. They jump around, whether that's um, in space on the landscape or in time um, and or just food sources, totally. Yeah, and then I remember sitting in on a, a speech that Jim Akinson gave on some of his studies on the distribution of home range herbivores and how the, they, the overlapping is minimal. Is that... And he was speaking of Idaho, um, Northeast Oregon. How how does that look for coastal bears and from Northern California, Oregon? Yeah, so <clears throat> I'll speak from my perspective of what I see in the woods. There are uh, there's a lot of radio telemetry studies, a lot of great scientific research on this as well, and and I trust w- what those. Um, studies find and they and they will show that at certain times a year you kind of have um, boar home ranges that are maybe separate but but you can also see a, a lot of overlap you know bears don't they don't have a territory the way that a mountain lion does you know um, their territory could be as small as uh, uh, two or three oaks you know in the fall that's their little territory their territory a, a boar's territory might be a, um, a sow that he's trying to court and it moves with her, you know, and, and he's just trying to defend her only and only her. So what's the markings when they're marking trees and you're like, well, this was a boar, not a sow because yeah, so he's we, laying down sign that a sow wouldn't lay down. Yes. Yeah, so, and, and that depends on the season. So we saw um, where, where a, a bear had stood up and, and leaned his back against a tree and he had, had rubbed his back and probably his face. They'll rub their face and neck and they'll claw it and they'll bite it. And in this in the springtime during the mating season, that's uh, mostly a male trait, and young bears will do it too. But when you get on a big mature boar, he'll, he'll do this just across the landscape. So it's and staging and displaying. It's it's a scent communication. Yeah, yeah. To for him to tell other males that he's in the area, for him to tell other females that he's in the area, um, for them to find each other. You know, and that that broken top. Oh, it is like quite a, a visual flag. And that's a visual that, flag, yeah, yeah. So it's like if they're yeah. not coming upwind to that thing, they might yep. see it and go give it a smell. Yeah, so both the, the, the standing rubbing trees and then, then what Carson's talking about is that we, saw, we see these fur saplings where the bears just reach up with their mouth and they snap it off. You know, it's like if you just grabbed the top of it and snapped it, and that's real visual. These do have visual elements to them for sure. Yeah. Um, and, then, and then we also saw... Uh, straddle marking where a bear will intentionally walk with both with both le- sides of its legs uh, over like like running a, a shrub down its belly you know and and they're they're dripping urine while they do that so the urine drags across that we call it straddle marking and they do it over and over to where that sapling or whatever just yeah. kind of yeah gives and just yeah. is yeah. and it's and, and yeah. marks all smoothed over on the top yeah. side yeah and i've seen that i don't know how many times going down these little grass roads on the coast but you yeah. know, I didn't know that's what yeah. was going I had on. No idea. But yeah. yeah. And when you and pointed that out, it's like, oh yeah. See those <laughs> and also, we've seen that um, 
that uh what did you call that mountain lion uh, oh the scrapes community scrape? the lion scrape yeah we got yeah. it under that um that giant hemlock that was split with the roots yeah yeah there was a community scrape there there was half a dozen lion scrapes yeah yeah and that, so that's like a place where it's usually on a, a place on the landscape that um lots of corridors come in like multiple ridges will meet or multiple drainages yeah, will meet a lot of stuff is coming together. yeah and so the lions will all go to check there to to look for estrus females or to communicate you know and so these bears and the other thing we saw is that foot marking where they're they're grinding their feet into the ground and so the the bears are, are very um olfactory right and and they're communicating all all of these things that we don't understand through this through the scent you know we we just you know i say we scientists just figured out that um, brown bears have a, a scent in their anal gland that um, this, that tells other bears what sex they are. You know, so so who knows what else they're communicating? Yeah. You know, um, but but body le- condition. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Individuals even who knows? Yeah. You know, um, we'll never we might not ever know. But they're going around the woods and in a place like this where it's so thick and you can't see and the bears aren't calling to each other like a lion caterwauling. You know, um, they need to communicate somehow. And <laughs> I got lost. I lost the trail. Let's find it again. <laughs> oh, so let's, let's territories. Yeah, the territories, yeah. right? Um, and and so a lot of times, what I see where I am is there's usually in each place where there's a good food source, there's a really big boar in there, and then there'll be a bunch of smaller ones too. But when when there's a lot of food, you know, I'm sure this is this, that you know you see this up on salmon streams, right? But where I am, where there, when there's a lot of acorns, I've seen eight bears, you know, on one hillside feeding on acorns, right? Where I can see almost all of them at once, and you'll get m- multiple mature males. And in they're there. accepting each other just so yeah. they can eat. There's enough yeah. to go around. They're, they're just spaced out enough that that they're not going to intrude on each other, you know. Yeah. But there's enough to go around, and yeah, and it all, it all changes when it's like that because in the fall they go into hyperphagia, you know, which is which is um, eating as much as they can. Their brain can't tell them that they're full. They're just and they're just putting on the, the fat, yeah, and and so uh, yeah, everything kind of changes a little bit, yeah, yeah. Well, so in, in applying what you just said to this country in this time of year, that's kind of tough because I mean, you know, we don't see it the way bears do, but I'm I'm pretty confident in saying there's a lot of good food. Oh man, there's food everywhere. For, yeah, there's, yeah, a, so there's so just how do you food figure everywhere. Out there's food, water, cover. Yeah, everywhere. Where the prime best. Yeah, why best do they like yeah. one area better than the other? And I where mean, is that? I mean, the way I f- figure that out is I walk around until I see bear sign and follow it. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. Then, and then and then the animals take you there. Yeah. You know, they, they show you where it is on the landscape that they like to be, you know. And so we're we're trying to figure that out. We, we've got two spots so far. You know, one of them looks like there, there's two different size bears in there, and, and it looks like they're pretty active in there. And then the other spot where we had some bear sign – there, there wasn't quite as much activity, but they were in there, and so, you know, that that's how that's how I learn about the woods is I just try to find their sign and follow it, and it, it takes you there, you know, it shows you where they want to be and what they want to do, and yeah. Well, tell us a, a bear hunting story um, where you're tracking and trailing, and <clears throat> um, yeah. And where I where I live and hunt bears in the fall, we can get back to that too. Is it's not the best conditions for tracking them, um, but sometimes uh, you can get on the right trail and 
and actually you know follow it down like right right now this th these are prime conditions for trailing where we here where we're here on spring bear in the fall where i'm at it it's not the best but <clears throat> one time my buddy shane and i we call him barefoot shane he goes barefoot everywhere uh tough little kid he's not a kid anymore <clears throat> we, we were we were in um kind of mid elevation um where, where i live and so we were probably like four thousand feet pretty steep stuff you know not much flat ground it's all uh it's a mixture of, of what I call oak savannas. So the, these white oak forests with native bunch grass growing underneath it. And so it kind of looks like a sea of green under there and the, through these white oak forests. And then in the drainages, you have big, tall, towering Douglas firs. And there was kind of scattered throughout their madrones. The madrones, if you've never been in their forest, they have these, these big leaves when they dry out, they're real crunchy. And, and Shane and I had gotten on the trail of a bear the first bear to go through this, this hillside feeding on the white oaks. And you could see every single one of her tracks um, crunching the, the white, the, the um, madrone leaves, right? And, and when we got on the trail, that's how we, we found it. And that's how we knew it was a good fresh trail was this, this bear tracks through the madrone leaves, like, like series of crunched ovals, you know? We came over this little ridge and <clears throat> I couldn't believe what I saw. I looked out into this uh, white oak savanna, and and it was it was littered with with moss hanging from all the tree limbs and and broken branches of of oak twigs. And you could it just looked like someone had gone through there and, and torn the place apart. And this bear, one bear, had gone through and climbed all these oak trees to feed on the acorns while they were still up in the tree, right? And so as she was going up, she was tearing off moss. And she was breaking branches and then going down to the ground and, and feeding on the acorns. And so we were able to follow her just with that sign <clears throat> across multiple oak, oak savannas. And then we would hit a drainage and there'd be a game path. And you couldn't see tracks, but you just assume she's on it, right? And go down through the firs and come out. And, and there's all the sign of her feeding, you know. Um, and we were able to go through three or four um, drainages and little oak flats like that. So... Not to interrupt. Yeah. Do you think that the first time you ran into this, you are two days behind her, 12 hours behind her? That, that, that sign was really fresh. We were, we were probably half a day behind her. It was kind of the middle of the day when we got on that trail, and that was probably her sign from that morning. Okay. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was fresh. It was that day. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, you know, the moss that she had pulled off was, was still moist. You know, it hadn't dried out. And so we came out into the, the, the last oak flat. Uphill of us, maybe 100 yards, was a huge boulder. And then to the, um, to the south of that, a little bit uphill, it kind of down in the drainage was a really big uh, Douglas fir tree. And right there at the base of the fir, like 150 yards from us, was the bear in her bed. And, and right when, when we saw her, she kind of saw us too, you know? And, and, and kind of stood up and, and I sort of froze and she sort she stood up and then turned to walk and, and we lost sight of her as she went around the boulder and I, and I hustled up around the other side of that boulder, you know, hoping maybe we could get a shot or something and never saw her again. She had slipped out of there. Um, but that was, that was a pretty cool hunt. It was really neat for me because me and Shane, because she was the first bear to feed on those acorns, you know, that season. Yeah. And the sign was incredible. 
you know. Yeah. Really she was ripping really those, cool. ripping tan down oak. those branches of yeah. those, the tan oaks. Uh, uh, that, that's the white oak. White oak. Yeah. Now, are they a smaller white oak species, or are they like the big Oregon um, white oak? No, it's the Oregon white oak. Same same okay. species. Yeah. Okay. But it can yeah. be a number of different sizes. Yeah, yeah. Those, those ones are like those ones are like forty to sixty feet tall. Oh wow! And yeah. She's getting up there. And oh yeah, they go right up there. Ripping branches. Yeah, and they go out to the ends of those branches. Really? And break them in. Huh. And yeah, they're so nimble. Huh. Yeah. Can the large boards? Are they capable of that? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they can't get on the smaller stuff, but yeah. they can climb trees for sure. Yeah. yeah. I've seen them up in in really big. Uh, uh, western white pine. I've seen them up in short oaks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they sure can. They're powerful. <clears throat> um, yeah, that was that was a pretty fun one. But I do a lot of hunting for bear in the fall where I am not not by actually trailing them, just because it, it, it's pretty tough conditions the substrate. But but by tracking them, you know, I I look for their sign, and and when it's fresh, you know, I spend time there, whether it's still hunting or slipping around or ambush, you know. Yeah. yeah. So you're looking for these feed trees and. Yep, looking for their scats and what they're feeding on, and fresh scats and fresh tracks and and all that. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So I just kind of change the subject up a little bit, but you know, talking about tracking, um, you know, we talked about tracking and trailing in, in terms of uh, finding an animal, getting to it. Um, there's so much to be done after the shots made in where, where tracking and trailing could benefit a lot of people. I feel like, I feel like that's t- the only time a lot of people even attempt trailing and tracking. Um, but I know a lot of folks who probably could have had different outcomes in their hunts, a little better outcome if they were a little more versed in trailing and tracking, uh, when it came time to find an animal that wasn't necessarily ideally hit. Um, I, I, it, what, what's different about tracking in that situation versus trailing, it, um, yeah, that's a great that's a great question. <clears throat> One of the big differences for me is it, when I'm going out with the intention of uh, finding a, a fresh track and following it to catch up to that animal, I'm I'm specific about the substrate, and so I'm looking for the best substrate to do it in. But a lot of times when you're hunting, it might not be the the best substrate for tracking. And if you shoot an animal, you then have to track it. You know. So, like like a few years ago, I shot a bear up in the wilderness, and uh, when he ran off, as happens with um, a lot of bears when you shoot them, there wasn't any blood. There wasn't any blood trail, and the ground was rock hard. And I I stood there. I knew where the bear ran for 100 yards. I saw him. And I stood there thinking to myself, Holy shit, Preston! I hope you're as good a tracker as you think you are, right? I, <laughs> I, I ended up getting him. That's a long story. I can tell you if you want, but, um, but we don't have a choice when we let that arrow go or, or, or you know, pull the trigger uh, necessarily of being in the best tracking conditions, right? And and we're committed at that point, you know. <clears throat> and I think what if you if you go out and and practice trailing animals outside of the season you're just going to have more experience and, and be better at it when that situation comes. Because I, and I know you guys have too, have recovered animals without any blood trail. I've shot animals that don't leave a blood trail until really close to where they're lying dead. I've, sh- I've shot animals that leave a great blood, blood trail that fizzles out and, and found them. And I've shot animals that leave a great blood trail and they're not really hurt that much. And, and you never find them, you know. So blood itself isn't 
all you should rely on. So when you run out of blood and you're tracking this animal and now you've come to where the tracks meet a whole bunch of other tracks. You know, let's say it's an ungulate deer and elk and, and you know how that is. It's mm -hmm. like all of a sudden there's elk tracks going in every single direction. Mm -hmm. The blood's gone. Um, what do you do in that situation? Like wh what's, uh, what's the next move? Yeah. I approach it really systematically. <clears throat> this is usually where it ends for a lot of people. Right, right, right. Yeah, I approach it really systematically, right? If you're standing, and this is the same as I do when I'm on a trail, you know, just trying to find an animal, not when it's shot, but when you lose the track, <clears throat> you're standing. As I'm following a trail, I'm always recording in my brain the last place I was 100% that I was on the trail, right? I'm going... Okay, I had the track back there where the road turned. Okay, I had the track back there where he stood to mark the tree. Okay, I had the track back there at the creek crossing in the mud. So that when you realize that you might have lost the trail or you've come to a difficult place, you can you can go back to, to your last 100% known trail. And that's why a lot of people will leave flagging up, right, when they're following a blood trail. So standing at that last known track, I, I look out on the landscape and, and I look for animal travel routes. You know, they don't just walk anywhere, usually. They're, they're gonna use animal runs. <clears throat> and, and so when I look out on the landscape, let's say, you know, there's the trail that you've been following and, and it goes straight, and then there's uh, a game path to the right and a game path to the left, and maybe there's one back behind you too, because you always gotta consider that the animal turned around. What I do is, um, I mark that spot where I've got the last track. I usually just put a scuff in the ground. <clears throat> and then I take the most likely route first, the one we've been on, and I walk out that trail until I come to what we call a track trap, where I can say definitively that this animal did or did not continue beyond that point. So right? that'd be some nice mud or could some be mud that, or it could be fresh that, plants or, yeah. or it could be... Uh, elk tracks coming the opposite direction with none on top of it yeah you know um it, it could be like if you know that you're you're getting blood brushing up against a, a certain side of the body it could be um real thick vegetation with no blood there you know we um, call those uh track traps track traps yeah <clears throat> and the more difficult the trail is the the farther you might have to go you know when it's really easy you, you might only have to take a couple steps you know um, and so, so if I go out that first option and I come to a place where I can say it did not continue down that way, then I come back to my last known track and I turn down the next option. The next most likely yeah. looking yeah. option. And so this is like, as my, as my uh, buddy Nate Harvey says, it's like the spokes of a wheel. And you're just working off that last known track with spokes of the wheel until you, until you find the trail. And, and if you exhausted all of your options then you might have to go beyond your track trap again, farther down those trails, because maybe it was too difficult and you couldn't see it. And if you've exhausted all those options, <clears throat> then a lot of times what I'll do is, is I'll kind of cut a circle, not very far, a, a small circle looking for, to see if the animal went somewhere weird, yeah. you know? And, and then if I really can't find it like that, you know, then you start, you know, groping for you're you're really hoping to to pull something out of the hat, and and you're gonna have to 
continue, you know, go where you think the animal's going and, and look way far well, ahead like or the, the desired bedding or food. Yeah. They yeah. Think we're going to go. Yeah. Down to water if they're hit. Yeah. But, it, but if you're on a, see, and this is where it becomes difficult. If you shoot an animal in the track and it's tough, that that's tough. If you're on a good trail and, and the substrate is good, then you just need to find the track again, you know? And, and if you haven't seen it, it's cause you haven't found it, you know? So that's yeah. a benefit to, uh, specifically focusing on tracking hunting like you do because you're seeking out places where the substrate's beneficial to tracking yeah. in the first place and so that's how that's up in your odds that you're going to have a yeah. beneficial tracking substrate after a, and the, an the, the tracks already told a story of what he or she was up to that day feeding bedding whatever and so now you're just picking up on that voyage you're just, yeah, if that's the situation, yeah. Sometimes you catch. Yeah, an arrow. I mean, no. or sometimes your plans change if you catch yeah. an arrow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you're if you're sitting in a tree stand or or you're um, spot and stock hunting or yeah. calling or whatever, that you know, you may not be the situation. But but if you've been on the trail on while. the trail, and, but um, but even if you're not, when you do take the time out to trail animals, even if it's in the off season when you have snow and you want to go out and and learn your area it's gonna help you so much when you're in that tough situation yeah. under that high pressure yeah of a, of a recovery yeah well, like james you and i both tracked elk and it's a lot easier to track elk than bear we we yeah. established that the last yeah. couple of days but uh i feel like just having done that over the years well, it's just come second nature to anticipate mm -hmm. the next but you're, you're no longer just you know your eyes aren't on the ground. You just kind of know where they're headed because you've followed so many different elk trails. But tracking elk, right? It's like you said. It's it, they lay it out. But now that we're looking for like something even harder, bear. Yeah. Is the elk sign like even more insane? Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You're like really understanding <laughs> it because it's like you're looking at you're, you're you're it's like you're searching for a needle in a haystack. Yeah. And so when you see the elk sign, you're like, wow, okay, like. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this is now easy to learn. Just following a trail yeah. of breadcrumbs. Yeah. yeah, and um, I don't want to give the impression that like I've never lost an animal or something because um, I'm such a great tracker that that happens. But if you, you know, you just need to put the effort in, and and if if you spent time outside of the season pr practicing tracking, when you when you come to that scenario where you've shot an animal and it's not the best conditions to trail it and it might not have died as quick as you wanted, you're you're gonna be able to put forth a little more effort, you know. Just because you don't see blood doesn't mean you missed it, you know yeah. what I mean. And so maybe you'll be able to follow the tracks until oh there is a, a drop of blood, and, and maybe get yourself a second opportunity. And maybe you'll get you a second opportunity. It. Oh yeah. So does tracking bear and hog rate high in your? Uh, you know your hunts in the air i mean is that um or oh man it's what i live for yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. i mean that's why that's why i came up here for the spring bear hunt specifically because this is a good time to trail them because i that's what, what i'm looking for and then you know i was super lucky to be able to hunt hogs for five or six years and and the way that matt and tim and i hunted hogs was we would look for fresh sign and and follow them into their beds and try to shoot them from you know a few yards away in their beds and it's so much fun you know and and it just kind of <clears throat> it just kind of makes the woods more exciting to me as opposed to just kind of walking around and hoping to stumble into them you know yeah. um or sitting i mean yeah I, I used to hunt 
I, when I first started bow hunting, man, I would, I would stand next to a deer trail for five, seven hours, you know, in the morning till the thermals switched. But, um, <laughs> I enjoy creeping around a little more now. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was definitely, um, an education that's had when you're paying attention to the details, the devils in the details, they say. Yeah. It, it's just fun. It's, it's what, it's what I'm looking for. You know, it's fun. So for guys that are listening or gals that, you know, want to, strengthen that game where do you what do you recommend um if you if you can find someone in your area that that is good at it like i know you james have have a mentor gary wallace that knows how to follow elk trails and and find them if so if you can find someone like that and and latch on to them that's the the best thing but but if you can't um, there's some resources out there. There's a book called Practical Tracking, and that, that kind of lays out um, with some good stories how to follow trails to catch up to them. I would read uh, Louis Liebenberg's book, The Art of Tracking, The Origin of Science, and it describes how, the, how he um, uh, observed the Bushman tracking and hunting. Um, definitely get the cyber tracker evaluation or get any of those evaluators to run a workshop, just take you out for so a day. There's those evaluators are, are here and there. There's a way to look up. Yeah. Yeah. There's a website. Um, trackercertification.com is the North American one. Cybertracker.org is where it started in South Africa. If you want to see some of that, their history. Um, and, and that's a great, you know, window into what's possible. You know, when I went on <clears throat> my first trailing evaluation, Brian McConnell was there. He was getting evaluated um, by master trackers, um, Mark Elbrock and, and Adrian Lowe. And, and Brian got on this bear trail and followed him, followed that bear miles across the landscape. This is without snow until we got up to that bear's bed. And, and I had never seen a person do something like that. So it really opened my eyes to what was possible. Yeah. You know, give you some motivation. To yeah. Track. Yeah, totally. Um, and, and then, um, and then just get out, get out and do it. Go out in the woods. If you can go to a, a, a state or national park where the animals are not spooky, then then watch them. Watch deer, watch elk, watch moose, whatever it is. And when they leave the area, go over to their sign and, and try to fall, catch back up to them. Yeah. That's what I did a lot is <clears throat> when I was learning is, is I would walk around until I jumped deer, and then I'd try to find them again, you know. Um, if when you get on really fresh stuff because you just saw the animal, you know um, it's it's a lot easier and 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 just practice and and, and keep up at it, keep trying, it, it'll click, you know. Um, if you keep at it, it'll click. Yeah. I think I noticed you didn't mention the Tom Brown books uh, or that that school, uh, but I, I don't know much about that that the ongoing Tom Brown school, but. Uh, I, I really enjoyed that book. Uh, it's Tracker. The Tracker, yeah. The Tracker. Yeah, it's really uh, inspiring. Yeah, I, I read it about four or five years ago, and it just got me to look at things a little bit broader than, you know, because I've been bow hunting for a long time, and, and had, my dad was my mentor, and I just kind of learned the basics that I would say most bow hunters know. Uh, but then reading that was like a very different perspective on, you know, a, a whole – a much deeper level of tracking and, and that that was inspiring for me i started looking for those uh you know looking for the story in yeah. the tracks more than just an animal was here and, and these are their tracks and i'm gonna try and you know 
now I know there's elk in the area. That's kind of, you know, for me, it was just to confirm there's elk in the area. And, you know, now I'm going to go blow a bugle off of this little knob or something. Not, I didn't, you know, think about it. I wasn't necessarily trying to track them. But then again, we hunted Eastern Oregon and tracking elk in Eastern Oregon is, is a little different. I think elk tracking here on the west side might be more Man, productive. Um, it just depends. Like, I, I hunted a, a place out there for elk. Uh, this was, was it last year? No, no, it was... Uh, 2018 and and i got on these elk and i stayed on that herd for three days um every time i and i I, I, i'm not very good at calling elk i haven't hunted them very much like you guys and and so i'm still learning how to how to do that but you know what i was trying to do was catch up to them and sneak up on them and and they you know they would win me because they'd bed where the winds are swirly yeah but every they pick those bedding areas for a reason and so they would run off and then i just get on their tracks again and and i stayed on them for three days until i was way away from the truck and so on the third day i I could have stayed on them still but i turned around to hike way back up to the truck and and meet up with a friend so there are places where it's doable yeah i've ran into them in the late season i guess um nine times in one day yeah that's cool where i run into them i'm on them i'm trying to herd yeah i'm trying to get a shot because it's three points or better bull and they've got one or two in the group and I'm trying to figure out how to get a shot on him, and things don't work out, and they leave, and I'll have a granola bar, you know, drink some water. I, I think giving them a little time yeah, yep. get back really helps, feeding. and then they don't go very far. Yep. They usually do a little J thing. The first one's not much at all, the yeah. first little bump. Yep, and, yep. And, and I think, like, on seven or eight, they'd <laughs> lost me, and I just, late season, I thought, maybe I'll throw a cow sound up. So I threw a couple cow sounds, and one of those calves gave the herd up and they were just they had just tuffed themselves in some thick stuff right off the road didn't go far and yeah and I was like and off they went because as soon as she chimed off they were like oh you blew it you blew it yeah Um, but it's so much fun yeah it really is yeah it is yeah it it just depends where you are when when we went to Colorado uh, last year um, it was pretty difficult tracking we were at in those spruce forests where there's no plants it's just kind of rock hard on those needles and that was that was pretty tough so it just depends where you're at yeah yeah Yeah. well do you have any advice just you know uh, for a guy that's going out and you know i know we said to go out and find the animals but i think it really comes down to just patience really right For, for hunting in general for bears uh for Staying on the track. Oh yeah, yeah. It, it's perseverance, it's patience, uh, it's faith. You know, you're, you're, yeah. It's it's all of those things and a little bit of luck. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but when you get on, <clears throat> when you get on a fresh trail, like you get connected to it and it pull it pulls you along. You know, and and just because it's easy to see the tracks doesn't mean you should move fast and blow down the trail you know just because you can follow the trail you you want to sneak up on these animals so so just because it's easy to see it doesn't mean you can move fast you know we we're i I want you said fresh finding fresh track oh yeah and i just wanted to bring up something uh that i've noticed just in day one i think now we're on the same page as you but but that implies a knowledge of aging tracks yeah and i think we all know what fresh looks like and what old looks like but when you start getting the difference between is this a day old yeah. or is this three days old that's a big difference in in 
what maybe your decision to pick up that particular trail or not and it of course depends on the local conditions you know moisture big time has it rained like you said and i think that's where like james and i were both kind of looking at a pile of bear crap up on the ridge when we're driving around we'd stop get out look and we'd kind of think well that's pretty fresh and it seemed like more often than not you were able to dismiss it as older than two or three days based on this or that whereas yeah. we were kind of leaning more towards the one or two days on, yeah. on a lot of stuff mm-hmm. in general it seemed like that's where like you're able you kind of showed me i think in the last couple Aging days sign. like we're, in, we're, we're, getting to that that we're at the level of finding sign of, and knowing what the sign is what the sign means sometimes yeah but aging sign is it's just it's really hard it's really it, hard it, and because you could be in this a warm environment where the age of it is going to dry out in an hour or it could dry out in 16 hours. And, and that's or the thing here. Stuff can look fresh even though it's not just because, it, like, that ground holds moisture. It doesn't dry out during yeah, the day. It's like a refrigerator. So it can look really well formed, but it might be yeah. several days old. Yeah. And the fresher it is, the, the easier it can be. So once you get into a day old – and, and especially a few days, it becomes really difficult. And for, for our purposes of trying to catch up to an animal, the only question I have is, is this trail fresh enough to follow and catch up to the animal? And, and, and would you and put that at the one to two day? No. With, with bears, it needs to be that day. That day. It's yeah. got to be tw- – if we're going to catch up to this animal, it, it, it should be less than 12 hours old. Okay. Unless – I mean, unless, like, you know that they're going to stay in this one spot, you know, but – um. I'm looking for the freshest thing I can find. And that's another aspect of why this time of year in this environment, the trailing is really good because when they, there's so much lush plant growth, when they step on it and and break it, you can distinguish um, the breaks in those plants really easily from older stuff because it dropped those plants bruise and dry out quick, you know, it turns dark. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And, And so that's why like, like where I am, there's so many bears that you're you're oftentimes trying to distinguish: Am I on the bear that I started on, or a different, older trail? And those breaks in the plants help with that, you know. Yeah. So aging, aging is really difficult. And like, all I'm really concerned with is: Is this track fresh enough that I can follow it and find the animal? Yeah. As opposed to like, is it three and a half days or three and three quarter days? You right. Know? Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But can I find that, this animal? That line is. That, yeah. That one to two day. Right. Yeah. Is yeah. That it one it day starts or is getting that two tough. Days? It, yeah. Right in there. O- over a day, it starts to get harder, and then after two, three, it starts to get really difficult to nail it down, and, and it just almost doesn't matter. I mean, a couple-day-old elk trail, if it's a herd, you might be able to find where they're at again, you know. Um, but and, and we followed you know, we followed a bear trail that was a couple days old because maybe it's going to take us to an area that they're still using. Right. You right, know, maybe right. it's going to show us a place that they really like to feed or it's going to show us a place that they like to bed and we'll come back to. Yeah, that's and what so, I was thinking. We might, it may have led us to the grocery store. And it was also the first sign we had found, you right. know. Yeah. And uh, and so I'll do that the sometimes. The first sign that wasn't four days old. Yeah. yeah for sure. That, that, it was actually followable, what we yeah. had found. Yeah. yeah. And cool. so I'll, I'll, I'll stay on stuff that's older just to learn about the area and maybe find fresh sign. But to catch up to it, I'm, I'm looking for a fresh track and the fresher it is the better where really i want to be right behind them yeah becoming the hunt yeah awesome yeah. well this is all so fascinating i'm really got to thank you for coming up and um we're just two days into a week hunt and we've got a lot of learning to do amongst all of us 
of this country and, and these bears. Um, if you guys are enjoying this conversation, it's going to continue. We're going to record a uh, follow-up episode at the end of the hunt. Um, so this, I thought this would be a good way for you guys to get to know Preston and get to know kind of what we're up to on the spring bear hunt. It's kind of unconventional spring bear hunt in the jungle. And um, we will try to cover the hunt and what more we learned during the hunt. And hopefully maybe there'll be some blood involved. Yeah, I hope so. Some yeah. meat. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, either way, we're having a great time. Yeah, we are. And uh, yeah, thanks, guys. I uh, appreciate you guys. And I look forward to uh, sharing the rest of this adventure with you folks on the next episode. Don't forget to tell your friends about the podcast. Check us out on Instagram. TradQuest.com is our website. You can hop on there and check us out. We've got a... Give them some money. Sign up as a Patreon donor. Give us some money. Yeah, you can... Not uh, not me, us, but yeah, Bob and James, uh, I'll take money. But uh, no, you buy shafts from Sherwood Shafts. We've got a discount going. If you're a Patreon member uh, for TradQuest, we've got a 15% discount. It'll give you a code... Uh, if you join so if you're into you want to try wood shafts you know just uh give give me a call and, and i can help you choose spine and uh or if you just need to restock um might be worth uh being a patreon there it is so if you guys are looking for some shafts or some staves echo archery we got carson here can take care of you um my yeah carson. Press, press speaking of staves Preston uh at the tao banquet after before he left i met up with him the next day and he ended up taking home an Osage Staver too, and uh, he brought it back here as a nice thumping bow. He uh, is. He is. It, it is a good shot. He's a damn good shot. We've all been making each other better shots. Uh, yeah. Out here stumping. It's the shortest 64-inch bow I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. But definitely, uh, you can support the podcast on Patreon. We do a lot of good giveaways. Check that out. Don't forget to tell your friends about the podcast keep the wind in your face pick a spot and shoot straight